1: Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Podcast. JJ Cooper here, Matt Eddy. We're going to talk NL East prospects today. Before we do that, though, I do want to remind you. You know, we're working on our top tens, but we're also working on our top thirties for the Prospect Handbook. It's coming out not far down the road. Same thing can be said about the really can be said about the 2014 Baseball America Almanac. We'll be finishing that up, sending it to the printer at the end of this week. We also have the Super Register. Matt Eddy knows well about I know something about it. I, I'm a Super Extra alum myself. We've got that coming out. We've got the Fantasy Guide coming out. We've got the Baseball America Directory coming out before long. So, BaseballAmerica.com, go to the store, or you can give us a call if you want at 1-800-845-2726. And you can order it that way, too. So, thanks again for all those who have already purchased the Prospect Handbook or any of the other books. But today, again, we're going to talk NL East Prospects, we just wrapped up all the NLE's top tens at baseballamerica.com. Also, the, uh, the issue with Noah Syndergaard on the cover is now out at newsstands. We're, well, we wanted to do something a little different today. We, we figured that you know a good bit about the number ones. So, what Matt and I are going to do is we're going to do a uh, 10 player per person draft Maybe between the two total. of us.
2: Huh? Maybe 10 total.
1: 10 total, okay. <laughs> I was going really deep, but <laughs> where are going to say take the number ones off the table? We both agree. That every one of these number ones would go before the first number two. I think we both agree on that. Yeah. That if we did draft number ones, Michael Franco, Noah Syndergaard, uh, Andrew Haney, Andrew Heaney, Uh whom am I thinking with the Braves, Lucas Giolito, and, and Lucas Sims, and Lucas, Sims. all those guys would go before the first number two. So we'll clear that up. You know, so it's not like we're avoiding those guys. But if you wanted to hear, we could have a draft of the first five guys. But we wanted to go a little deeper with this one. So, Matt, you win the uh, award. Which said we said we don't know if picking first here is actually an advantage because there seems to be a pretty good drop-off when you go from the number ones to the number twos. So, Matt, well, who would you take with the first pick of our uh, NL East prospect draft?
0: That
2: might be my uh, bias, having covered the organization, throwing showing through. But I think I'm going to take uh, Travis Darno with the Mets. Um, I think you get... Solid defensive skills and probably the best offensive upside of any catcher, you know, to rank in one of these top tens.
1: I can I see, I mean, that's the highest upside. I think really it comes down with him, we've been saying this for a couple of years now, yeah. if he stays healthy. Yep. And the up to now, unfortunately, every year we say that, and the answer at the end of the year, you know, if you had a question, did he stay healthy? And the answer is no, no, he didn't stay healthy. He just
2: changed his last name. Travis Darnot, if he stays healthy. Yeah, I mean,
1: because it really has been, I think at one point, I chronicled, it's like I was looking back, and I, I think I came across six significant injuries. He's not, you know, he hasn't been around that long. but, <laughs> But when he's on the field, which unfortunately has been sporadically, but when he's on the field, he is one of the best catching prospects in baseball. I, I think we could say... Safely say at this point Austin Hedges has passed him as being the best catching prospect in baseball. Last year it was Darno battling Mike Zanino. Mike Zanino's graduated. He he spent about... And Darno would have. Yeah, Darno would seeming like, you know, would, <laughs> would have, but he had another injury. Um, but I do think at this point, you'd say Hedges is the number one catching prospect in the game. Darno still is probably in that running for, though, you know, mm-hmm. after that, I, they're... I uh, think there are other guys you could think there's, of. But there's
2: another guy we're probably going to get to in this division draft. Mm-hmm. And then there's also uh, Gary Sanchez. Of the right.
1: Gary Sanchez. If you want.
2: So. I, I'm not willing to put Jorge Alfaro in that yet. I, I still think we could
1: see him in that down the road. But he's still got a good bit more refinement to go. Um, we probably could throw some other guys in there down the road too. But, uh, but no, I, I think that Darnold's a, a, a very solid first pick. Right, and then right. after that, the it, it, it puts me on the, the clock clock. On. on the clock. You know what? I'm going to go off the board because I'm, I am gonna, I'm going to go uh, against our rankings. Our rankings are kind of a assemblage, and, and I understand why Jesse Biddle ranks ahead of J.P. Crawford. Mm-hmm. But I am going to really go upside because I'm going to go the guy who I think is the best combination of upside and uh, plays a premium position. So I'm going go to go the Phillies' number three prospect, J.P. Crawford. And I do that, again, long ways away. <laughs> he, he was great in the Gulf Coast League this year first-round pick this year, but you're talking about a guy who's pretty polished for a teenage shortstop, showed, again, GCL, you you take those stats and you you don't really want to base a whole lot on those, but he showed an ability to hit this year. Uh, you know, there is a, a definite belief that he should be able to stick it at shortstop as well. You put all that together, I'll go with him as my first pick. And, you know, were you, were you
2: mad I stole that, or would well, you been waiting a while? Uh, no, he would have been high on my board as well. We talked about him before we went on the air. Um, tremendous upside. Far away. Far, far away. <laughs> uh, okay. Back to you. Can't dispute that. Are you going to go
1: catcher, catcher, catcher?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'm steering away from another catcher here, though. I might have to double back for him. Uh, I, would, I think I would take Philly's number two, Jesse Biddle. Uh, you know, he's a little... Had some injury issues this year, but we saw what he can do at his best. That 16 strikeout game against uh, Trenton, it might have been. Anyway, he had 16 strikeouts in a game in Double A. Lefty with a great breaking ball, uh, not a great fastball, but solid um, fastball. Solid. Uh, again, the Major, league, Major league cavalry. Major league.
1: Major, yeah, that that's the key thing is is that it, it his fastball is good enough that you don't say that it should preclude him mm-hmm. from having a career by any stretch of the imagination. You wouldn't even call him a soft tosser, really.
2: No, no. So average fastball.
1: Above average breaking ball.
2: So, you know, despite the scary walk rate right this year, I uh, just think, hey. Wolf Just uh, lefties are a different animal. Uh, I would take Biddle.
1: That gives me a chance to go catcher. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to go. And <clears throat> I, I don't know if Christian Benthcourt, I, I don't know what I'm going to get long term. I, I feel very confident about the defense, mm-hmm. a little less confident about the offense. Uh, he had a, a, a much better year this year. But even his better year this year, and if I remember in repeating Double A Mississippi, yep. um, still wasn't very good, you know. But I've I've said this before. I think I may have said it on the podcast before. When it comes to hitting and catchers, I often don't know. Like that's the to me one of the hardest positions to project because they've got so many things that they're working on. Uh, the best way I put it is is that in addition to every other thing else you're thinking of. Do remember, if you're a shortstop or you're a left fielder, you work on what you need to do. If you're a catcher and you're a catcher on a minor league team, there's only two. Maybe, if you get lucky, three of you guys. And one of you's got to catch every bullpen that's going on You know, before the game. Okay, hey, we're doing a side session. Well, you need all that involves a catcher as well. There's just a whole lot of work for it. That's where I got. If you had told me that Yadier Molina would end up being a 300 hitter in the big leagues, yep. never would have seen it. But I do wonder a lot of times with that how much of that is. It takes longer for hitters to really develop if you catch because there's just so much that goes into yeah. the grind of catching.
2: Catchers peak later. That's you know it's statistically proven. And uh, you know Betancourt, you know ranking him in the Southern League, he kind of his rough outline kind of reminds me of a young Benito Santiago. Swings at everything. Terrific arm. Can actually run when he's mm-hmm. young. Um, so I, I kind of look at him as that that sort of development and, track. And
1: Benito Santiago, I, I think it's fair to say, is the kind of catcher who, if he'd come along 20 years later, probably would not have been as much of a prospect as he was. Because, also
2: his rookie year was in 87. That right. helped a lot, too. <laughs> it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt Yeah, when everyone was hitting homers.
1: But it did mean that, but even with that, he was a guy who had a very long career. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I'm I'll give one sneak peek. I'm, you know, we just finished up doing the uh the NL Central issue. I've got the reds, Ryan Hannigan made the made that top ten. And we were talking about that, and it's like really you mean, you mean Tucker Barnhart. Right? Tucker Barnhart, yeah. Tucker thank you. <laughs> Bad day for me to apparently. But uh, but uh but Tucker Barnhart made that top ten and he's never gonna be a star. But there's something to be said for the catcher who's going to have a 10 year career. I and mean, Tucker Barnhart very well could have that. Oh, ten-year he's career. a
2: slammed up major leaguer. You know,
1: and, and Christian Bethencourt, the reality of it is, is that the, the gate's wide open for him to be the Braves catcher in, in 2014. Brian McCann is almost assuredly not coming back. There are not many good options that they have in Atlanta right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I can see Evan Gaddis not throwing away the catcher's mitt. I can't see Evan Gaddis catching 80 games. Can you?
2: No. Well, that would be just an awesome experiment. You see Evan Gaddis <laughs> try to catch 100 games? That'd that would be, be awesome.
1: That would be awesome. I mean, it would be like <laughs> Evan Gaddis who hit 30 home runs and allowed 40 pass
2: balls at that point? I don't know. Okay, so Betancourt, good pick. Okay. I like Betancourt. Now you. I'm also going to jump the uh, BA order, and I'm going to take uh, Jake Marisnik, Marlin center fielder, and the number three prospect. Uh, some Southern League bias here. I ranked him in that league. Batting average concern is, is real. It's pretty scary. He hit 183 in a, in a in a in a short stint with Miami this year. Um, and, and that's always been the hit has always been the question. It's Always too. been a question. I think if you pie in the sky comp on him is Adam Jones. So that's a good pie. <laughs> so it, I don't know how realistic that is, but if you want to dream, that's the guy. But you know, he's a Gold Glove caliber center fielder with power. I don't know. If he's ever going to hit more than 250. And. Again, I think if you
1: want to approach it a different way, I I think that's the pie in the sky. I think a guy, a a Chris Young, and I don't know if that's praising him or or damning him, but Chris Young is another guy that jumps out like a guy who he got plenty of opportunities because he had power and defense in center. I I guess we can, at this point, Drew Stubbs has become the patron saint of those guys. But, you know, but again, one of those guys where... He's going to get the opportunities for the hit tool to improve because mm-hmm. he's going to do enough other things that teams will, you know, that especially the Marlins, will give him opportunities. And then it comes down to the question of, okay, can you improve that hit tool? It doesn't have to be a great. It, mm-hmm. If it's average, then he's, if it's an average hit tool to go with everything else, then he's potentially, uh, you know, uh, 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 an all-star in his best years. Yep. But that's the big question.
2: That's a huge one. <laughs> yeah. You know,
1: I will, I'll stick with that. I am going to take Colin Moran. Okay. Um, the uh, number two prospect in the Marlins organization. I, I do think with him, you're getting a lot of, I, I need to kind of even out the risk. I, I took J.P. Crawford. It's a lot of risk. I think Colin Moran's probably one of the least riskiest guys on on these top tens in any NLE's top ten. you know, Because I think we know a lot of what we're going to get, which is a guy who's going to hit, the guy can really hit. You know, We're talking about Moriznik, the question is the hit tool. The least question I have with Moran is his hit tool. There are, I think, are fair questions to ask about whether his approach is ever going to allow him to hit for significant power hmm. because I think it's in there. But his approach is much more an up-the-middle, you know, hmm. okay, you know, line it the other way into the gap for a single or maybe a double approach than it is, okay, now I'm going to you know really pull and yank and hit a homer. You, you see it in BP. You don't see it nearly as often in games. Get that from a number of, of scouts I talked to have seen him this year as a pro. Obviously also people who saw him in, in college. There are, I think, fair to, fair to say legit concerns about the power. That being said, he's a big, strong guy. Slow twitch, that's the other concern. The other concern is, is, is he going to be able to stay at third base? If he's a third baseman and he's a guy who hits for average and you know hits for okay, let's just say average power, because I do think he's big enough that he's going to run into 15 in a year. He should, at least. If he does that at third base, it's a pretty valuable guy. Mm-hmm. Again, it's probably not going to be a guy who has uh, the highest peak of, of all these guys we're talking about, but it's a pretty valuable guy. The scary thing is, is that if that's just a first baseman, well, then the bar is you know a lot higher. And I don't think as good as his arm is. He's a, again a slow twitch guy, below average runner now. I don't think he fits in right field. I, I think you really are talking first base if he doesn't stick at third.
2: So let me throw this one at you. I know the body types don't work. Is it Brett Wallace? Is he better than Brett? Interesting.
1: Wallace? Interesting. I, I do like yeah. I, I do like the body better, um, which is not. I mean, that's not saying much, you know. I, I mean that that was always a concern for Brett Wallace. Brett Wallace is interesting. Like I do think Moran has a little bit better shot of sticking at third than Wallace did. Um, but that's a, a very interesting. I mean, there there are similar pedigrees in all. Obviously, you're talking about uh, very advanced hitters. Both came out with excellent college careers. Mm-hmm. Third baseman who might not have moved to first. They are shaped entirely differently. Brett yeah. Wallace was uh, <laughs> Brett Wallace probably you know uh, lower half is twice as big as uh, <laughs> as Moran's. Moran's is more of a yeah, he's a little taller, not actually that much taller, I guess, but but carries less weight just in general. But that that is a very interesting uh, kind of idea. The best way I put it is, is really is that when you talk to scouts, you don't find anyone who doesn't. I haven't found anyone who's like, oh, I just don't understand Colin Moran. You know, why are you like him? But you don't hear that. What you hear, though, is is it's always like you don't hear that massive enthusiasm either. You hear, yeah, he's okay, <laughs> which just <laughs> take that for what it is.
2: Just what you want with the what was it, the sixth pick in the draft? Yeah,
1: he's okay. <laughs> yeah, you <I> know. <laughs> I mean, but it, it is funny, but like you do get to that even at six in the draft. Right. Sometimes teams, you know, fall in love with certainty. I'm doing, you know, I do the Royals list. Christian Colon was the fourth pick in the draft. <laughs> and that was a very similar thing. Like when guys liked him, it's like, yeah, he may not have a sixty
2: on his you know.
1: But 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 his feel is really good, and you know you really it's like okay that that's probably a concern. All,
2: all of us prospect makers should take that to heart. <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth remembering. Okay, so back to you. Is this The fourth pick, uh, sixth, okay, but okay.
1: fifth, 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 because you pick first.
2: Okay, uh, I'm going back to the Mets on this one. Uh, I'm going to take Rafael Montero. Uh, uh, man, uh, that one I'm bummed. I, I did want yeah.
1: him to be my next pick.
2: My uh, six foot right hander for my rotation. I like uh, him. He's got, uh, he's got tons of pitch ability, and he's got a performance track record. Led, led the organization in strikeouts, uh, which means he surpassed Syndergaard and some others, but notably, notably Syndergaard, and he really performed in Las Vegas, despite being a fly ball pitcher. I think, I think and, he's got and, the, and
1: no one performed, no pitchers almost performing in Las Vegas.
2: You know, the, the trouble is, is he's short for a starter, and he's not particularly thick. And there's not a guy in the major leagues you could point to and say, this Montero's going to be like this guy. You know, the closest I can think of maybe is Johnny Cueto. I was gonna say Johnny Cueto like is a now short the Dominican right. Johnny defender. Cueto is
1: the patron saint with, of Dominican right. I mean, with beca- good control and good feel. You know, I, I was gonna say now the thing I'll say for Cueto that I it works against that comparison is that when Cueto came up, Cueto had I do believe a a, a better fastball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Cueto. I remember I, I think I may even remember one of my first tweets if I remember right was Cueto's <laughs> first start. In would have been like 2010, I think it was. I could be getting the year wrong, but it was like very early in his career, and he was absolutely dominant. And watching it, it was like the thing struck me it was like he may never have a game better than this. But he was he was really at that time able to. He had other pitches, but he could dominate with the fastball. I don't think Rafael Montero Montero can locate it, and it's not a bad fastball again. Mm-hmm. I don't think he can ever dominate with his fastball though. Do you?
2: No, that's probably fair. Um,
1: but that he's, that being said, I, I think he's a solid back into the rotation starter who should you know be starting for years. Mm-hmm. Probably probably uh, starting next year. Yeah, uh, there, there seems to be the opportunity there. <laughs> um, okay, back to me. I, I'm going to go to the guy who's uh, who's been on a couple of these lists before and has been traded around a little bit. So we're going to go with AJ Cole, the number the know. number two prospect in the Nats system. If if you're talking upside. Um, He's one of the higher upside guys we're talking about on these lists. There are, again, some cause for concerns. Mainly, he's bounced around a little bit. He's had, when he's been good, he's been really good. He's had some times when he's been pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But, stuff-wise, you know, uh, above average fastball, 94, 95, pretty consistently. And it'll touch better. Um, and, and then, you really, you just really want, you wish he had one secondary pitch that was a little bit better than he has right now. Mm-hmm. I look at him and could end up being, if it all comes together, middle rotation starter. I feel pretty confident at least he's going to be a solid back in you know late inning reliever. And by that, not like sixth or seventh, but could pitch the eighth or ninth. Uh, I you know that I think his fastball is good enough. I, I think that uh, his breaking ball would probably get a little bit better if he just you know if that's something he's just throwing in the pen. So uh, again, I feel like he's a high upside guy who actually has some safety, some ce- some lo- some lessening of the risk. Then because also he's he's pitched mostly your high A, but he has been to Double A already. Mm-hmm. And pretty good track record of health.
2: Yeah, the one thing that scares me about him is he's very hittable and very homer prone for somebody who throws as hard as he does. I think I, I think that
1: really comes back to when we talk about he doesn't have a second pitch yet to really get peak hitters off of the fastball, and he needs. There's the old, you know, adage, if you don't, you know, you either know how to spin it or you don't. There's some truth to that. I also think there's some truth to, and if if we can't teach you to spin it, you know, teach you to spin it, we can at least teach you a cutter. Mm-hmm. And that may be something we see down the road with Cole. Yep. Back to you. Is this the final pick? No, we keep, no, this is number, <laughs> no, we're, I think you're, you're on picking seven, right? So I've got, you get another uh, pick what, after let's this. Let's just keep picking players. Yes, keep going.
2: <laughs> okay, uh... I'm gonna take J.R. Graham Braves. I, if know, he's healthy,
1: he's the best guy I've taken in this uh in all this.
2: <laughs> he's an intriguing arm strength and a track record for performance. And um a Clean Bill of Health next year he could finish the year in Atlanta. I mean he Clean he Bill t- of Health, he would have been number one on the Braves <laughs> top ten. <laughs> yeah, he touches um he's got up near a hundred. Good sink. I don't know. I'd... The the key thing is is there's you said clean bill of health. We haven't gotten that yet. I've gotten both of the big guys who uh, have the health concerns, he and Darno. Uh
1: yeah, you could be looking at a list that you know this could you know for revisiting this podcast two years down the road, <laughs> you could even going wow that worked out really well or man those guys just never could get healthy. Hey, Graham's a very difficult guy to rank because when we're talking about these things, and that you don't you almost you don't have enough data to give a, a as accurate a ranking as you want because if healthy again if healthy I put him ahead of Lucas Sims on this list for the Braves mm-hmm. because. What he's demonstrated when healthy is at least as good a stuff as Sims. Maybe a little bit better. And he's done it at a higher... I mean, he's done it up to double A. I think if he'd have been healthy all year, we'd have seen him in Atlanta this year. Mm-hmm. That being said, he's not healthy. He's got a shoulder problem. Shoulders yeah. always concern me more than elbows. Yeah. He wasn't ready to pitch an in instructs. So, essentially, we're going to go into 2014 and... We've both been doing this long enough to know that a lot of times with these guys, it's like, okay, you turn around, it's like halfway through the 2014 season, we'll be going, man, so Graham hadn't pitched
2: yet. Yeah, it's also a workload concern because he pitched, I don't know, a month and a half this year. So, mm-hmm. therefore, how much is he going to be able to give you next year just based on that?
1: And, he's, and he is, again, another, he's a shorter, mm-hmm. you know, a little smaller framed right-hander. There are some concerns with that, like, okay, is this just that his body can't handle you know, there are guys who can't. I mean, I, again, we're doing the NL Centrals now. We just finished them. Eros Vizcaino has yet to demonstrate. For the Now he's former Brave, now a Cub. He's yet to demonstrate over a full season that he can handle the workload that is involved with starting a full season. And he's been trying to do this. Or relieving a full season. Yeah, or even relieving <laughs> a full season. And he's been trying to do this. This is not one year or two. This is multiple years he's had trouble doing this. So, you're going with Graham. Yep.
2: Hmm.
1: Is that a monkey wrench? um, I'm probably going to go that way anyway, but I'm going to go and get off the board. I'm going to go Mauricio Cabrera. Um, I guess I'm I'm filling up a a long list of potential relievers, I I guess to put it. (laughs) I I think that there's not as much of a difference. I talked to scouts this year to the Saturday list who like Cabrera more than Sims. Mm -hmm. So the gulf between one and five here isn't a, a cavern on the Braves list. I do think that again, Cabrera is a guy who you, you, you're, you're thinking is, is, and I'm not saying it's a sure thing, this guy's in low A, but at least a bullpen job down the road should be a, a, a decent. He's got to get better control. Yeah. Much better control. That being said, the stuff's there. The delivery isn't, there's not something where you say, okay, he can't do this. You just, he's never probably going to be a guy who paints corners, but again, I'll give another Braves counterexample to that. If you told me that Craig Kimbrell would not walk anyone in the big leagues, I would have said that would not be possible because True. Craig Kimbrel was a guy who legitimately the scouting report on him coming, you know, when he was in Double AA, A, Triple A was if this guy can throw a decent number of strikes, he could close because his stuff's so good. But his control may mean that that doesn't work. And here you are, this guy now paints corners, and so it's it is possible he'll get to that point. We're just not. We're a long ways away from that. That being said, he just turned 20, so we got some time for him to develop to that. Mm -hmm. Back to you. I like Cabrera.
2: Um, Okay, Uh, upset city. I'm going to take Brian Goodwin, national center fielder. Uh, Had a pretty lackluster year, and the guy, you know, left-handed hitting center fielder who was excellent in A ball, kind of stumbled when he hit double A in 2012 and did not really show a lot of progress last year. But I think um, the sum of the tools adds up to a pretty... Interesting player. My one concern is that I don't know the baseball comes easy to him. Like there's some guys who are super athletic, like Goodwin, who just aren't natural baseball players. I, I always think of Lasting's Millage when I think of right. that profile, and, I'm, and that's, it, that's my fear with Goodwin. But I'm at this late stage in the draft taking a yeah. chance.
1: Okay, well I'm going to get another one of the best bats from the uh, 2013 high school class. All right, Dominic Smith. There you go. Uh, so I'm going, you know, the, the number four prospect in the Mets system. <coughs> I think with Smith. You're getting, again, uh, it's, I'm never going to say the words polished bat when you're talking about a high school guy drafted in the first round this year. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still a, little ways, you know, he's a long ways away. But that being said, I, I and th- to put it this way, you can't get drafted as a high school first baseman in the first round unless you're a, a pretty special bat because it just doesn't happen very often. I mean, there's been... Less than ten over the last ten years, if I remember correctly, I did a story about that. I should remember the number off the top of my head, but and Smith is also a guy. Um, a lot of descriptions are that if he didn't throw left-handed, he would have you know he would not be playing first base. He could play third. He could play somewhere else. You know, he really should be really good defensively at first. Kind of stuck there because of his throwing arm. He
2: also likes to catch, from what I'm told.
1: Yeah, and that, that's the one that I always again. I <laughs> I do think like I understand, obviously, like I'm sorry you you're, you throw left handed, you can't play third base. I never really understood it with the catcher. I know you hear you hear explanations about it. None of those explanations seem to hold a whole lot of uh water to me. It does it's it's baffling that the uh, the left handed I thought the one
2: that made the most sense was the throw would tail away from the glove at second base and steal attempts.
1: Sure, but I mean again, if you had a guy who was I mean, who is generally accurate with his throws, would you not want to take that? You know, that I mean that it, it just seems baffling to me that there's less there's been so few guys who've who've tried to uh that mean, means just
2: even in Pro Ball too. Not not just the majors we're talking no, about. No, I mean there's none in the minors. No. I, I can't I've think of Are there any in one. Indie ball? Are there any in division one baseball?
1: I can't think of one. You know? And I think if we had we'd be doing a story about it. It's like <laughs> look, there's a left handed throwing catcher. Which again it always baffles me the you know, the argument you hear is just that well, because, you know, the, then the angle on, you know, pickoffs and all that, but...
2: Well, the throw to third, it doesn't happen that much. I know that that's... And even with that, like... Like, you would have a right-handed batter blocking you all the time, but...
1: Right, but the same true for a right-handed catcher when you're trying yeah. to throw, throw behind a guy at first and there's a, you know, yeah, lefty in there. the box. I mean, right. same thing. And that doesn't keep people from ever doing that, so...
2: Right, that's why I think the second base argument's the strongest. You know, it... And maybe just catchers are just so used to... Throwing to a target with a glove on that hand, I don't
1: know. I, I don't, I, I, it it's always baffled me, but uh, but no, I, I do think that, that was a nice little tangent there, but I do think <laughs> that uh, Dominic Smith's a guy who could end up hitting for average with power. Um, again, we're not, we're, if we do an NL Central version of this, I, I think it's going to be a little bit deeper. Uh, so right now, I, I think at this point in the draft, I'm okay with that pick.
2: Yeah, if the Mets stay in Vegas, there's a chance that he would play for the 51s in a couple of years, and... Maybe at that point he begins to remind us of James Loney, who also had his breakout with the 50 moons back in '06, I think it was. And it's funny now we can say that, and that's not damning with faint praise again, because James Loney is <laughs> coming off of a,
1: a, you know, the best year of James Loney's career. Indeed. James Loney also high school, you know, although in his case it was kind of high school first baseman slash pitcher at mm-hmm. the time. Yep. Okay, so back to you. Okay. Uh, now it's getting a little uh, a little thinner. <laughs> Jason Hirsch is available, uh, Jose Peraza, yeah,
2: that's what Justin should, Nicolino. That's what we should do is tell us who's on the board here. Uh, Kevin
1: Pilecki, Wilmer Flores, uh, Miguel Gonzalez, probably the most big league ready of, of the group. Yep. Roman Quinn, I, I think this when we did this, Roman Quinn had yet to tear his ACL. Yep. Torn ACL, Roman Quinn, probably not going to be the fifth prospect in the uh, system. Matt Skoll, Robbie Ray, Sammy Solis. That's kind of your, your choices here.
2: Okay, I think I'm going to take uh, Brave shortstop Jose Peraza. Um, good glove, good speed, uh, base stealing acumen. Will he ever hit? I don't think we'll know for a few years.
1: But. Long ways away, but there are some tools there. Yeah. I can shortstop profile. Uh, I'm going to follow right behind you and take Jason Hirsch, who's ahead of him on the rankings. Yep. Two, Again, two. You, uh, you hear this and you may go, geez, you know they just ranked these and they had, and now they're taking." That's one of the things we, found very, we find very useful about the B.A. grades in the uh, prospect handbook is you can have a guy like, like Jason Hirsch. Yeah, again, we, we haven't set these grades yet, but Jason Hirsch, very well, considering where he's drafted at all, is probably going to be a 50 high, maybe a 55. Actually, first round, so probably a 55 high. Yeah. Um, Maurice, that's, that's 55 overall potential. And then high, high risk. High risk. Yeah, 55 overall potential, high risk. And... Mauricio Cabrera could very well be the same thing, Uh, you know, or maybe they both end up being 50 highs. That's one of the reasons we have the grades, is to kind of say, like, look, you can kind of group these guys together. One of the things that I've said this on the podcast before when you get the handbook, look where the 50 high line starts on a team Hmm. because you find that point. To me, that gives you really some indication of the depth of the organization, is that if you've got a team and the 50 high group starts at like 12, well, that's really a deep organization. If the 50 high line starts at like 4, okay, because 50, what we're saying is that there's high risk of that guy becoming a first division regular. The reality of it is, is that if you, there very rarely are going to be guys carrying grades below a 50 overall into the top 10. It happens. Usually those are guys who are pretty much big league ready to be second of it, you know, relievers who are not going to be closers or mm-hmm. Tucker Barnhart. They're ready to be a backup catcher, those kind of things. But pretty much that 50 high line is kind of the demarcation line. Usually when you get to the 50 high line, you're going to have eight to 10 50 highs in an organization, at least in the top 30. There, at that point, you, it really becomes eye of beholder in a lot of ways. We, we rank them we we spend a lot of time working on it but it is one of the things what if you want to argue with me that a guy who's ranks 14th that is a fifty high is better than a guy who ranks ninth that is a fifty high basically by our ba grades what we're saying is, is oh, yeah that's a completely defensible argument right here you know we'll in our write up we're trying to explain why we rank them the way we do but these guys aren't separated by a, a, a massive gulf by any stretch of the imagination
2: yeah don't get don't get fixated on the ordinal rank, in other words. Right. Like if the guy's number four and the guy's number six, then there might not be that much difference. Between
1: and, and also, the guy who's four in one organization, this is, again, what we talk about the VA grades in the, in the handbook. The guy who's four in one organization may be better than the guy who's, you know, may, the, the guy who's four in one organization may be better than the guy who's number one in another one. Because, and the VA grades will essentially spell that out to you by saying, no, this guy ranks fourth, but he's a 60 high, and this guy ranks number one, and he's a fifty-five, you know, a 55 high. Well... We're saying this guy is a better prospect than this guy, you know. And also, again, you can you can judge it a little bit. You want a little less risk, okay? You can you know, I mediums, lows, low risk. You could also say, okay, I don't mind taking the fifty-five extreme. You know, I, I like fifty-five extremes. I like guys. You
2: work for the Rangers, right?
1: Yeah. The Rangers are going to have a good. The Rangers probably this year will have more extremes. I would think on it than anyone. Yeah, they did last year. Okay.
2: okay. Want to have one uh, one final pick? Oh sure. Um, so you picked Hurst, correct? yeah, you picked I picked for yeah. So yeah. yeah. So you go get. You picked Yeah. So here's my final pick. I'm going to look past uh, Justin Nicolino and Anthony DeSclafani from the Marlins. And um, skipping Kevin Peluce and, and Roman um, Quinn and Miguel Gonzalez from the Phillies. And I'm going to take uh, Kevin Peluce for the Mets. Uh, the catcher. Do you think he's going to catch? I do. Uh, I think that had more to do with who's the major league catcher. Because uh, he's not as on your as, team.
1: Travis Darno may have that spot not, blocked, but, as but as you need as Pilecki as, for the uh, the DL trips.
2: <laughs> but yeah, he's a guy with a great batting eye, pretty good field to hit, and um, you know, good power for a catcher. You know, I don't. He's not going to win a Gold Glove, obviously, but if he's a forty-five or fifty defender, yeah, that plays.
1: Really, I, with him, it is going to become a lot of. It's going to be just how he's he's going to work at it. I feel pretty confident about that. But right.
2: And we see catchers all the time get better with professional instruction at the defensive aspects of the game. You know, I don't think you see necessarily the, the leaps with other positions that you see at catcher. And I think one of the keys with that is is that if a guy wants to catch, right,
1: you you can often get a lot better. And there are guys you hear every year. You know, the guy went to instructs and we tried. They tried catching with them, <laughs> and it's by the end of instructs they're done. And usually, what that consists of is the guy tried catching and he goes, "No, why would I want to do this?" You know. You have to have buy-in if you're going to catch. And a lot of times those converted guys end up being, I mean, I don't want to compare him. He's not Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana ended up, has never been a great defensive catcher. But there has definitely been value in him playing catcher because his bat was special as a catcher. For some reason I keep going Indians. Victor Martinez. Victor Martinez was never a great catcher. But it was valuable that he played it for a few years. Kevin Pilecki, if his bat is as good as it could be, that may be a, try, you know, a, a path for him as well. Catch for a few years, and if he proves the bat's valuable enough, hmm. he, he, he plays first base down the road. Uh, again, if you're going a little, a little lower uh, ceiling, you know, Mike Jacobs coming up through the Mets organization was a catcher, first baseman.
2: Yeah, Craig Wilson in the old days. Um, mm-hmm. Rob Fick. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of guys. You can think of a number of guys who... Ryan Domit has essentially done that. He's a switch hitter, though. Right,
1: so. but you, but there are a number of guys who've done that, where it's like, okay, you're a below-average defensive catcher, but the bat's pretty good for a catcher, and we're going to get you some at-bats at first base as well. And, again, really, then it depends on if the bat really takes off, we'll make you a first baseman. If it doesn't, then you're kind of on that triple-A to, yep. to the big league, uh, you know... The JR House the Express. Yes, you're, you're on the shuttle. So, okay, for my last pick... I am going to go Miguel Gonzalez. I, I'm a little worried. the uh, The contract being renegotiated is not a good sign. Um, he did have a six year, forty eight million dollar deal. Now it's three years and twelve, which um, <laughs> li- leads you to believe that there might be, you know, like a grenade in his elbow or something. I mean, something's not right there. But that being said, he he's he's a pretty polished pitcher. I would not be shocked at all if you're you're talking about him in the Phillies rotation next year. Um, and, I, I, you know, if I, if you want to talk about a guy, pitcher versus hitter, but Mike Napoli a year ago had his really good contract renegotiated, and that worked out really well for the Red Sox. I'll be optimistic here that Gonzalez at least has a couple of years of being a, uh, a solid average pitcher ahead before uh, any future medical maladies come down the road. So if we're looking, we took four guys. Uh, let's go back. I'll, I'll start with the Braves. So we took six Braves in this exercise. Five, right? No, because we took Peraza. We took everyone. Oh, five. Yeah, five. Sorry, do not, not count first. first. Yeah. Five, yeah. Five Five Braves. We took uh, two Marlins. Two Marlins. We took four Mets. We took three Phillies. And we took two Nationals. Yep. So, huh. We think that the Braves, if you were... If you're looking at this, we, we look at the Braves' top ten probably being the uh, the deepest of the, the group. Uh, that's a useful exercise. I did not really think about that before, but yeah, I, I can see that.
2: A ton of risk, though, with Graham's injury problems, Hirsch just entering pro ball, and two guys in low A.
1: Yeah, there's <laughs> a ton of risk there. I mean, the number one prospect's a guy in low A. So
2: there, there is, really, with, the, with this Braves
1: group, the guys who can help, uh, who are close, most of them, they... They were they were pitching and David David Hales on this list. He pitched in the big leagues this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, no, n- neither of us went deep and picked plucked Tommy LaStella at number nine. <laughs> I think both of us liked Tommy LaStella a lot. Oh, I actually yeah. thought about it.
2: Oh yeah, I, scouts in the Southern League said he was the best hitter in the league. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I've talked to guys for and, average, I should say.
1: Talk, I talked to guys in the AFL who are like, I, I just love that guy. I know, it's, you know like, the, the Scouts love The stories about, like, that basically, which I don't even know how you do this with an Arizona Fall League team because you're not together that long, but he ran that team's clubhouse in the Arizona Fall League, apparently. Like, you know, he was the man who, like, okay, <laughs> you know, I'll lead us. Again, I don't know how you do that. I understand how you do that over a 140-game schedule when you're, like, and you're playing with guys you've played with before and, like, hey, Tommy's, Tommy's a leader. He led the, you know, he was a batting champ last year. No, I'm going to listen to him. I don't know how that really works in the AFL where it's like, okay, an assemblage of <laughs> guys from, you know, four or five different teams who really so, just get together for essentially a month and a half. But Tommy Lastella, so, from all accounts, was the leader of that team.
2: So for you fantasy players, draft Tommy Lastella as a sleeper because the Braves uh, could need a second baseman next year.
1: Uh, I, the, the great thing for him is is that, and they'll still be doing it at Turner Field for now, so we can say not, you know, at, at, at Turner Field, fans... Are so desperate for someone besides Dan Ugla <laughs> that the bar will be set very low for him. You know, is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, I'd say so. I yeah.
2: mean, so stay tuned for our follow-up podcast where we draft all the number ten prospects. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I think Steven Souza is going to be the, uh, the the last guy taken in that uh, <laughs> in that ten. Well, oh, man, that I don't would know. be. He's
2: got the highest exit velocity in the AFL. That is 115 miles. That is true.
1: Hour. I'm taking JT Real Muto first on oh, that. Yeah? Oh, actually, Sean Gilmartin's Martin's number ten in the Braves. I'm I'm. You can have Sean Gilmartin. That would be the last guy I'd pick out of that career. Okay. Nothing against Sean Gilmartin, but no, I'm not riding that train. But, well, again, we hope you enjoyed this. If you did like it, I think we're going to try to do the same kind of thing with the uh, with the NL Central in a couple weeks. We'll probably try to do this all the way through. I think it is a useful exercise.
2: Yeah, I do too. It's fun, too. It's
1: fun, yeah. You know, we'll put together our teams at the end and yeah. see, uh, you know, five years from now.
2: Readers can tell us I, why we're stupid.
1: I want to do it. We're, at some point, we're going to do a dream draft again. I love the dream draft that we did with the... Uh, you know, that we did about, geez, about five years ago now. That's Connor Glassie would always say, I just love the draft format. I, I do too. So, but, format Eddie, JJ Cooper, thanks for the download. We will try to get back again this week. I think we'll talk at least, going to try if John has a little time, John Manuel has a little time uh, between writing all the main things he's writing and editing. Um, maybe we can talk a little AFL. He just got back from a week in the AFL, so try to talk to him for that, and uh, we'll be back hopefully later this week. Thanks again, everyone.